So Money episode 1550, Rich People Problems, What They Are and Why We Need to Care, with Kristen Keffler, author of The Myth of the Silver Spoon. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. While maybe there are better economic systems that really support, you know, we can look at some of the European countries and, and that, that have so a lot more equality and are, are far more socially, the whole invests in the social good of the whole, right? And you can look at that and go like, wow, that would be, that's really incredible. We have the system that we have. And so my thinking has always been, how do you operate within this system? Instead of I, I can't imagine the day that we might have a different system. Maybe that will happen. I don't know if it will be in my lifetime. So how do you operate within the system that we have? And and I think that when I look at it through that lens, then I can get a little deeper and say, well, we have to we have to change our relationship to money. And we have to change our narratives around it being good or evil, something to seek or something that those who have it must have done something or they in some way are you know, not worthy. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, we are exploring life as a wealthy person, somebody who has resources, someone who grew up with resources, and where that has landed them today, generally speaking, what are the pros and cons, and what does their narrative spell about our overall relationship to money, our ideas about what it means to be rich versus poor. Our guest today is Kristen Keffler. She is a thought leader and consultant at the forefront of a global shift in family wealth advising known as Wealth 3.0. She is the author of a new best-selling book called The Myth of the Silver Spoon, Navigating Family Wealth and Creating an Impactful Life. The book draws upon her research and years of private practice advice and coaching the rising generation in affluent and enterprising families. And you may not think that you are affluent or in an enterprising family, but you might be, or you are in a relationship with someone who is, you know, this transference of wealth that we are experiencing right now from the boomers to the Gen X and Gen Yers is the largest we've seen in history. So many of us will be inheriting wealth. Many of us will come close to wealth in our lifetime. And so this episode might be helpful. We talk about what is the cultural psychology around wealth? Why are we so conflicted? And money clutter, the distracting money messages we may all be harboring that deserve attention. By the way, my son recently asked me, mommy, are we rich? Talk about that. And what I told him, here's Kristen Keffler. Kristen Keffler, welcome to So Money. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Farnoosh. I'm super excited to be here and in this conversation. Yes, let's talk about The Myth of the Silver Spoon, your book, which explores, uh, well, I'll, I'll read the subtitle, Navigating Family Wealth and Creating an Impactful Life. We're going to talk about rich kids on the show today. And if you're listening, audience member, if you don't identify as a quote unquote rich kid, I think we're still going to learn so much through Kristen's insights about 
everybody's relationship with money, the psychological culture around money, the haves and the have nots. We are very good at polarizing the world of wealth. And also, what does wealth even mean? It's so abstract. Um, What does it mean about our identity? Uh, Kristen, thank you so much for writing this book and also the work that led to this book. Tell us a little about who you are and what interested you initially in exploring wealth through the prism of children and adults who have grown with resources, above average resources and wealth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, um, you know, I, I sort of mistakenly ended up in this field and that it wasn't something that I was seeking to, you know, it wasn't like I graduated college and had my idea that like I wanted to be a human capital consultant in the, <laughs> in the space of wealthy families. Like there was no such landscape in my mind. Um, but really the, the, the work kind of found me in that, um, I've always had an interest in human thriving and human peak performance. My undergraduate is in human biology and chemistry. I wanted to go to medical school because I thought that was the way to support human thriving. Um, and really ultimately found like that wasn't the path. I went and got a, a combined master's in, in public health and business and ended up working in the corporate environment, um, uh, help doing health behavior change, health and productivity management inside the corporate environment. And I spent my 20s doing that. That was my professional path. And then I had this personal narrative where um, when I was in college, my dad, who had always been a, an entrepreneur building businesses inside businesses, um, decided that he wanted to go and and put it, create a business of his own. And so he and my oldest brother, who was 25 at the time, um, went and, and built a business that was just the right idea at the right time. And they um, they ended up taking that company public right around the time I was graduating from college, I sold it a little bit later. So my family, my parents had this um, a couple of wealth events between the public offering and the selling of the company that shifted the narrative of our family. Um, mm-hmm. And we started. So, yeah, you know, it's right at this very um, tender age for self-identity. Um, and I'm the youngest of four. So, you know, I think me and each of my siblings kind of experienced this differently um, because of the ages we were and how, you know, our genders and how connected we were to my parents and what kind of what was going on for them. Like I traveled with my parents. I, I did things with my parents that my older brothers who were dating and getting married didn't do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ended up in a, in an, just an interesting personal exploration in my 20s, trying to really understand what all of this was, like really trying mm-hmm. to, to, you know, I, I didn't have this conscious awareness that like, oh, I'm figuring out my identity in the context of a wealth creator, because I didn't have the context at that, for that at all. But I, I very much was trying to understand like, kind of like what are these fun trips, like we're going, you know, we're, yeah. we're going to New York City and like, going to shows and going shopping and and fabulous dinners and getting picked up in a limo at the airport. Like these things that were like, wow, this is, this is so cool. And also like at at the same time, like I'm getting a master's degree in public health. My, my friends and colleagues are all people who seek to be public servants. Most of them were paying for their graduate degrees themselves after having paid for their undergraduate degrees. And I just had this like dual experience of like wealth is good and fun and like 
well, you know, wealth creates major gaps and divides in our society. And like, how do we reconcile the public health issues that I was grappling with? And in this increasingly, um, you know, ever increasing wealth gap. And so my, my 20s, like I was really trying to understand the landscape, like understand what what's the language around trusts and estates and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and like even more sort of tenderly for me was just trying to understand my own identity in this in this context and like who was I mm-hmm. separate from from mm-hmm. my parents from my dad how did I define success um, you know he had created a really high financial bar and I really grappled with like is it good enough to just go be a public servant like just to yeah. earn a salary um, and so those two things ultimately ended up coming together like my my drive to understand human thriving um, and and the kinds of structures and situations that support people to rise up and find their potential um, and my own narrative around navigating this this landscape um, and ultimately in my 30s I started um, I, I left my w2 job and started my own um, coaching and consulting business working at that point just with the rising generation and families mm-hmm. uh, families so um, the the last little data points that I think are kind of interesting is that um, I did go on and get a master's in applied positive psychology uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, which gave me this massive set toolkit for really sort of supercharging the idea of individual and collective human thriving. Um, And overlaying that in the space of wealth has been super interesting to me because, um, and we can, we can dive into this more. I think that it's really easy to discount, um, you know, discount this work, discount people who have wealth and just say like, yeah, that's not me. And those problems don't seem real. And like, why should I care? Um, and what I've really been able to, um, to feel and to discern in the 20 years of doing this work is that really the, at the heart of it, culturally, we have a very conflicted relationship with money. Wealth is just an abstract and sort of turbocharged version of that because it is just the aggregation of money, which is, you know, more of the the human scale daily interaction of it. Um, And so like that, while, while some of this work can feel like it's, it's easy to discount, um, I would say there's actually a whole lot more there for many more people than we think. And because it really is about our relationship with money. Um, Yeah. Well, envy, you know, sort of um, admiring envy that we have of the wealthy comes from that conflicted relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely want to get into some of these complexities. Going back to your story, it sounds like a young woman who was raised in a wealthy family. You had something that we wish everybody had of of all economic scales, which is that curiosity to figure out like, what does this all mean? What does this mean for me? How are other people affected by this? I mean, it obviously led to your profession, but I think even at the core of who you are as a person, the curiosity is something we hope everybody can can have and apply in their financial life. Um, you know, before we get to the complexities, I think that, you know, you talk about this disdain that we have for people that are like uber wealthy or even just like have more than us. And I wonder if some of it also stems from, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, is like our world, our capitalist world seems to reward more people who 
are wealthy and punishes those that of those of us who aren't resourced. And it's not because we're, you know, we're not better people or we're not trying hard enough. It just seems like we're set up to fail. And by we, I mean, those of us who feel as though we'll never get to sort of that, that rich place or that place of wealth. And that, um, yes, wealthy people have problems, but also their problems are more easily fixed. And so there is this empath- empathetic disconnect, which I think that our system as in like our politics, our policies, the politics of the day, like our economic system, it just like, it doesn't make it easier for us to get closer as a culture. So like, before we get to the culture and the psychology of our culture, what do you think systemically feeds into this big problem of this bifurcation and this, like this division of like haves and have nots, and then the war really between the two uh, of seeing sort of like, well, you know, what do you have to complain about and, and the disdain and the sort of, I don't feel bad for you mentality. Yeah. And there's so much in there. I think, um, I think you're right that, um, I mean, we, we have an economic system that incentivizes and celebrates, um, the growth of capital, right? That's what capitalism is. It's like who has the right idea at the right time and, and is willing, you know, and able to leverage that idea. And I mean, that the, it, the purely capitalistic system is designed for wealth creation. Like that's, that's sure. what it, that's what it right. incentivizes. Um, but like we, the thing I think that we need to, that, that is helpful to remember is that capitalism doesn't operate without people and people are humans. And, the, and it's like our human drives that, that bring either the, the goodness and the, um, possibility to capitalism or the the pure cutthroat I'm gonna get mine to it and so there there is a cultural thing and I know we're, we're not going there quite yet but there um, I think it's important to remember that that so I'm you know I'm sure that like an anthropologist or a sociologist would look at this and probably have some other really great data to bring to this conversation that that I'm not I'm missing because that, that's not my expertise. Um, but I, I do think that while maybe there are better economic systems that really support, you know, we can look at some of the European countries and, and that, that have a lot more equality and are, are far more socially, um, they, the whole invests in the social good of the whole, right? And you can look at that and go like, wow, that would be, that's really incredible, we have the system that we have. And so my thinking has always been, how do you operate within this system? Instead of, I, I can't imagine the day that we might have a different system. Maybe that will happen. I don't know if it will be in my lifetime. <laughs> so how do you operate within the system that we have? And and I think that when I look at it through that lens, then I can get a little deeper and say, well, we have to, we have to change our relationship to money. Yeah. And we have to change our narratives around it being good or evil, something to seek mm-hmm. or something that those who have it must have done something or they in some way are, um, you know, not worthy. And right. um, so I, I feel like, again, it goes back down to like, what is our individual relationship with money and why we're seeking it and how well aligned can we become in thinking about it as a tool, as mm-hmm. truly as currency, right? Like as, as an energy that moves. And so the more that comes in, the more that can go out, which maybe seems very metaphysical. Um, but I think that there is like truth to this idea that, that 
we ascribe traits to money that it doesn't have, right? We use it as a proxy for love and power and and time and we I mean we we it's a standard all of it yeah yeah and it's and but that's not actually what it is it's just a tool I agree I agree that's all fair I don't I don't mean to sit here and have these existential you know (laughs) uh like the world is already messed up Uh, Kristen what else can we do I agree we have to work within the systems that we have and try to make the best of things and you're absolutely right money is just a thing it's just this inanimate object a tool and um, I remember I always say this on the show. Well, not always. Maybe I feel like I say it always. Listeners, you might not be tired of it yet, but it's that um, money is just a tool. It's like a hammer. You can either use it to build a bird nest or to murder someone. And that's not me. That's a quote from yeah. <laughs> a guest we had on the show. But I love it because it's so true. And so you write in the book, there's a whole like at the heart of the book, there's this section about um, clutter, which yeah. is your metaphor for these messages, these these distractions really that we fill our heads with around what money represents. And talk a little bit about the clutter that in that the cohort that you're writing for and about, the sort of like those who have inherited wealth, which by the way, if you think you don't have it, I mean we are in the midst of the largest wealth transfer ever. So this could be you. This could be your kids. This could be your grandkids. So hold on. This is important information for all of us to get. But Kristen, tell us a little about, unpack the clutter for us here for as far as where, what it involves um, for your audience. Yeah. So there, uh, there's like basically four types of clutter. And you're right. This is a metaphor that I've used to capture this idea of like emotional and psychological stuff that gets sort of stuck in and around us. And, and, you know, if you pull back and you think like, well, what is clutter? Um, you know, clutter in our lives, it's like not, it's the stuff that's like not tended to, we don't know how to deal with it. So we shove it in the drawer, we put it in the closet, or it has some emotional like baggage around it, right? Like it's like the sweatshirt of the guy you used to date. And so you don't want to quite get rid of it, even though you got rid of him. And so like, and clutter is the stuff that we like, we stick in the private places of our homes, right? We're not putting it on the front lawn or the foyer. So right. the psychological and emotional clutter shows up in the same way for each of us. And in, in this particular um, cohort that, that I write to, it's that there's four main things that I see show up really consistently. And one is um, this idea of money clutter. And money clutter is really just limiting beliefs around money and and wealth and what who you know what it means about you to have it or not have it, um, and and very often a conflation of of wealth with yourself, like self worth equals e- equals net worth. Net worth. So, right. Um, so that, that money clutter is a big one. I think money clutter is big for us culturally. Like this is yes. not just in this particular. It's not exclusive to the wealthy. No, no. It's why it's why people like you are doing great work with your with your podcast and your your thought leadership. It's like it's opening up and letting a little air breathe in to the money clutter piece. Um, mm-hmm. There's three other other kinds of clutter that I see show up pretty consistently within. Um, those who have grown up with wealth um, have inherited wealth or in the future will inherit wealth. And that's um, identity clutter, sort of this over identifying or under identifying with wealth. So it's yes. false beliefs about who they are and who they need to be. Um, 
very often these, this can be very crushing. And it seems like this is one of those things that seems like wealth would just be a blessing. But when you have a big name in a city where people recognize that name or, or they know that you, your family has wealth for whatever set of reasons and they project what that means, then there's not even room to, to struggle, right? To just have human struggles, to wonder who you are and to try to find your way. So, um, so identity clutter is a big one. Relationship clutter is a, is a very um, significant one that's often not tended to, which is feeling because money has the sort of, we project so much onto it. Oftentimes those who are raised in affluence have this, they, they don't know that they have had, if they have had authentic friendships and authentic Um. relationships, they don't necessarily know exactly what that feels like. And, um, and they, I hear often the like, well, I started dating someone, you know, I finally went, I got to college. I sort of got out from underneath the, the prestige of my family. Cause I went to this far place and I got, I'm in college now and I start dating this guy and I really like him, but I don't know when to tell him. Like, do I tell him, mm-hmm. I don't want to tell him too soon. I don't want to tell him too late, but it's a core part of me, but it'll change what he thinks of me. And so a lot of that navigating of real and perceived power imbalances and like the, the revealing, like, what is that? What, what will this person think of me as a result um, can be really confusing at a time when it's already confusing to try to be in friendships and be dating. Um, and the last one, and this one is, is um, I think is a super interesting area, which is this idea of what I called contribution clutter. Um, we, you know, could also be called work, but very often I think work is very synonymous with earning. And those who are in, in this space that we're talking about don't necessarily have mm-hmm. to earn in order to live, to pay their expenses. And that seems like that'd be the biggest blessing of all time. And for many, it's, it is very difficult because what they find is that, that taking away the financial need to work does not take away the human need to work. Like as humans, we are wired for contribution. We are wired to know that we have, that when we bring our gifts out into the world, that we get seen and validated for those. And that, that that's part of like our, feeling like we actually matter. And without the financial need to work, it can be hard to find the places where you can really plug in and and feel like your contribution matters. And yet it is essential to human thriving. My goodness. As you're going through these clutters, I'm thinking about friends of mine or people in the public sphere that project all this, you know, or, 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 or are living this. So I have, for example, a friend who suffers from depression. Her parents are uber wealthy. She never felt like she found her thing. I think part of it is also she's afraid of never measuring up to her parents. They never put pressure on her, which I'm wondering now, maybe that was a mistake (laughs) to go out there and like figure herself out. And so it has resulted in to your point, like this relationship clutter where she's never really found herself in like meaningful, trustworthy relationships. She has a fear, a distrust of people. She's sad because she never, she feels too dependent on her parents. They gave her everything. And then some, you know, they like bought her an apartment in her twenties, um, probably because they thought it was a good real estate investment, but really inadvertently they're making her more and more dependent on, on them. And then of course we see people like in the public and the, the, the famous who 
we wonder with all the resources that they had, and yet, you know, what is their contribution? What are they doing? And they go into a life of addiction and all that. And gosh, it's so, I mean, I would say this is exclusive to people who have wealthy, but there seems to be a lot more of it or or like these patterns. And so the question for us here is, I'm a parent, you're a parent, you're listening, maybe there is someone in your life that you want to Um, set up for success, financial success, you're saving for this person, you're investing for this person. How do we, in tandem to doing the financial work to set our kids up for success, also equip them with the emotional strength and the curiosity and all that, which is more important, right, at the end of the day than anything. Like my son asked me at dinner the other night, he's nine, are we rich? And you know, I've been waiting for this question. Mm -hmm. And rather than say yes or no, or maybe I used it as an opportunity to go into other things about money that I want him to know. Mm -hmm. I kind of sidebarred it. I was like, okay, you're curious. Let me talk to you about how money works in our family. You know, your father and I work really hard. We have the things that we have because we're very careful about saving and investing. And then it got into like, what's investing? And so we got away from like the rich versus poor thing because that doesn't, that's not helpful. Um, I talked, I wanted to focus more on like, oh, I have him. I have a curiosity here, a curious kid. Let me like feed him with some things that I think will be more important for him to process and unpack. Anyway, just all this to say that we're all going through it in our own ways. And we all aspire to like set up our kids for success. But what's it for if they're arriving at wealth with this sadness and this insecurity? So tell us what we need to know as we're raising our kids to into this world. Yeah. Well, first of all, awesome pivot with your son. Yeah, pivot. Right. (laughs) Like really beautiful. I always when I have those moments with with my daughter, I always have this like this internal like, oh yeah, like I I I did it just in the moment. I like totally hit that ball. Yeah. Um so I I think and this is something that I I think is a really important thing for for your listeners to hear, because this isn't what I'm about to to share isn't just about the wealthy. Like it, it happens in this space, in that in the space of affluence as well. Um, but ultimately, like this is really for a, a lot of people who are kind of in the fat middle of that bell curve, where you're like mm-hmm. you're high earners and you're making things happen, you're making smart decisions, you're investing for the future, you're doing your best to make your life increasingly easier with with money but also make your kids lives easier with how you can set them up and and so there's just a one or two key points i think are really important takeaways and one is that all humans need to go through certain stages of development through their lifetime right eric erickson is the is the primary psychologist who's done the research and the original research in this space and, um, and so he's a wonderful one to look at kind of those ages and stages and what are the appropriate developmental goals that you have to reach at each stage. Um, but like all humans, in order to find a life of autonomy, agency, thriving, need to meet, greet, and overcome certain developmental stages throughout life. And there are a, there's many of them that are sort of packed into the zero to 25 just because there's so much development that happens then. Yeah. One of the things that that financial resource can do is create a buffer from meeting and greeting those developmental stages. So ultimately as parents, if we're not very intentional in how we use the resource that we have, we can make our kids' lives too easy. 
in the attempt to try to set them up for success in the future, we can make their lives too easy. They don't have to learn how to problem solve, how to have difficult conversations, how to have delayed gratification, how to go out and work for something that they want and, and earn that, like do the work, wait the time to get the thing. Right. It's like all of those skills we can solve with money and Amazon prime. And it's so easy just to like hop on and buy something and then it shows up. And um, so I think it's important to realize that, that, as parents, we th- there is this inverted view curve of that's from behavioral economics that's really talks about this idea that as as you in, in this case um, in this application of it as you earn more money you your life uh, parenting gets easier right but when you are in a safe neighborhood and you have um, right. food security and all like parenting gets easier but not forever right you don't it's not just a linear upswing to the goodness of wealth. It's like, there's a point and it's not at that high of an, of annual earnings where it starts to get more difficult because instead of parenting based on circumstances, honey, like, I'm sorry, you can't join that, that competitive baseball league. We don't have, we don't have the money, but if you want to do that and then you can mow lawns to earn fees to, to join, like I would support you, right? That's one that's parenting based on circumstances. The vast majority of us are not there in in our modern day earning um, potential, the vast majority of us need to think about how do I parent based on my values so that ultimately I'm building skills like grit and mastery and a growth mindset and the ability and willingness to tolerate discomfort in pursuit of a goal. Um, so those are some of the key things I think all parents really need to be thinking about. Like if your kids have that and then you overlay financial support in a way that can can really be like a trampoline for them. They can use it that to amplify their own efforts. Um, then you're set up for success. Yeah. And to your point, I have seen it work. I have seen friends who were raised in opulence, but also having been their friends and, and seeing how their parents parented them, there were a lot of responsibilities that they had. Nothing was like an absolute always yes. They had to work. Uh, and there, I mean, for them, it was, I remember thinking back, I'm reflecting on this one particular family. Academics was like extremely important. There were a lot, it was a lot of pressure. I felt almost bad for them sometimes because there was this feeling of like, I have to like meet to my parents' expectations. But I like to think that they're like well-adjusted, happy adults. I mean, they're they're pursuing their passions they recognize their privilege too. They weren't, they were reminded of it a lot and they traveled a lot so that they could remember their privilege, you know, and saw the world and went to like countries that weren't, it wasn't always the Bahamas every Christmas, right? They went to like developing worlds. And I love what you have to say about all of that work, delaying gratification, problem solving, grit, mastery, growth mindset. Yes. These are things that we should all be conscious of at all economic levels. And I think you're right. When you're wealthy, you have to work a little bit harder and be more conscious about implementing this and and, and enforcing this. Right. It's. I mean, you can certainly imagine at the lower end of the economic scale, life is going to teach a lot of those lessons and they may be pretty in a pretty painful way, right? Like that is a, there's not a lot of buffering there. And yet there's, there's a huge amount of um, 
of opportunity to build lifetime success skills on the on the um, sort of higher end of economic earning. There's a, there's just an intentionality. Money can be money is just again it's just a tool, but it can create such a buffer that that then it, it becomes confusing why our kids are not like showing up to their lives. That's because they haven't been tested. They don't know how to. Right. And I say this with an understanding that it's not like I want to glamorize this, but there was a billionaire I interviewed once and he said, and he grew up in poverty and he said, poverty was my richest lesson, was my richest teacher yeah. because man, he knows what it's like to like live in your car and have a single mother who struggles to put food on the table. And now as a billionaire, a majority of his wealth is to give back. I mean, he actually signed the pledge, which is that he's awesome. going to give away all his wealth um, before he passes on. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he is the person he, he is today because of the adversity, the extreme adversities he had as a kid growing up. It's not what we hope sure. is everyone's path. We don't want you to have to go through that to get to that understanding, but it is, it is his story and he's very appreciative of it. And we appreciate you, Kristen Keffler. Thank you so much. Your book is is important. Again, not uh, just for the uh, the silver spoon kids, as you write in uh, you write for in your book. Although we don't want to call them that, but you know, you know who we're yeah. talking about the rich kids. But I will be reading this book to the finish: the myth of the silver spoon, navigating family wealth, and creating an impactful life. Um, a bestseller in its category. Congratulations. Ooh. Thank you. Thank you, Farnoosh. And thank you all of your listeners for taking time with this. I think it's such rich territory and so, so much rich. work that we can collectively do to create ease and a very empowered, aligned relationship with money. So thank you for all the work you're doing to help people do that. Great conversation. Come back anytime. Thank you. Thanks so much to Kristen for joining us. Kristen Keffler is the author of The Myth of the Silver Spoon, Navigating Family Wealth and Creating an Impactful Life, available now. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. New questions are ahead on Friday. Your questions, Ask Farnoosh, is in just a couple of days. I hope to see you there. Until then, I hope your day is so money. Money.